In therapy, radically genuine is reached when one is being truly authentic, communicating freely and openly as equals. The Radically Genuine podcast strives to do just that. We will question areas of mental health, culture, societal norms, and what is truly needed to improve the lives of others. Dr. Roger McFillin is a clinical psychologist and board certified in behavioral and cognitive psychology. He is the executive director of the Center for Integrated Behavioral Health in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. What is masculine? Historically, those who are masculine were celebrated and honored as hunters, leaders, and protectors. There is a movement looking to dampen masculinity and label those traits in men as risk factors. On today's podcast, we discuss how culture is at war against traditional masculinity. Good afternoon, guys. Welcome to the Radically Genuine Podcast. Reminder to everybody, we have a new social at RadGenPod. Find us on Instagram, TikTok. Feel free to email us. Email address is always in the episode summary. And if you like us, do all those nice things for us. Rate us on Apple. Share the episodes with friends and family that could benefit from it. Uh, I had a great weekend. I was outside. uh, And we've had multiple conversations in here about raising our children and my son's at that monkey see, monkey do stage mm-hmm. of life, which which I've really taken notice to. And I've expressed how I'm concerned about the challenges he may have in terms of uh, seeing how hard I am working, the things that I do, because I'm sitting at a desk most of the time. But I love being outside. I need to get my hands dirty. I need to be out in the sun. I need to sweat every once in a while. And I, I love doing yard work. I'll pull out the ladder. I'll take out the sander and scrape old paint off of the deck. I'll do all these things around the house. And he loves being there and observing and watching. And the monkey see, monkey do, period, I'm hoping will translate into some of the values that I want him to have in his life in terms of trying to do things independently, not always looking for others to take care of him, to want to get his hands dirty, to be out there doing things. And it's almost like the traditional roles of of what a a father and a mother would be. You know, mom is who he turns to when he needs some comfort because she's very motherly and cares for him. Whereas I, uh, I like to play with them. I like to wrestle with them a little bit. And he tests me now. I'll watch him climb up on something. He'll look over at me with a smirk on his face. Like, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Should I get down or are you going to let me go? And I'll let him go. And I'll just say, hey, be careful. You'll fall. You could hurt yourself, but be careful up there. And I'll just let him do it. And he'll like get to the point where he's going to do something really dangerous. And then he'll slowly go down and he'll put himself away. I think all those things are important. If I'm wrong, you guys, you know, you raise children. You let me know. Um, but those are the things that, for me, I just really want him to start absorbing and being surrounded by some of this stuff. But I think the question is why? Well, I, w- I truly do believe that um, that because if he observes it and he sees it, it will become part of who he is also. Well, is it also natural to him? Um, that That's a good question. This is the nature versus nurture thing. But the monkey see, monkey do is, is what I'm responding to. If I do something, he immediately comes behind me and tries to do the same exact Let's thing. Let's say the question here is what are some things that are natural to boys inherently if we're going to overgeneralize, right? Because yeah. there are gender differences, biological differences. There's yep. absolutely differences in the way in which they have a biological makeup that drives them to do certain things. So one of the questions are what is inherently boy uh, if we're going to say majority, because not everything applies to everybody, but what is inherently boy? Yeah, I'll respond to something that one of our aunts said to me recently about you know having a boy. She said, uh, "Get ready for him to hit his head a lot, and 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 bang into things, and he does all the time because he's a little bit adventurous and he'll run around and he'll not pay attention and you know smack. He'll hit his head on something or he'll trip and fall, or our nephew." He's wearing a cast. That's right. He, <laughs> right is. Now. he is, yeah. But is that boy or does that happen with all children? 
In my experience, well, you I ask, can only... Well, you're asking a question through experience. Exactly. Like, I don't want you to, to answer a question through experience of one kid. I do. Let's just talk about what we know. Like, I, I hate the fact that it almost feels like you, we have to deny reality sometimes. There's differences between boys and girls. Kelly. <laughs> There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Listen, another story. I, when um, the twins were born and they were a little bit older, I would take them up to this uh, park that's near us. And the way that I parented are very similar. I'm, I usually would just let them go. And now they were, kids were only two years old and they were climbing up on places where they probably shouldn't have been, but I'm, I was right there. What I noticed were people around me, particularly like moms and, and they would just like go, is that your son? And I said, yeah, well, he's, you know, he's really high up. It was <laughs> as if they were surrounding me with this fear. And I'm like, well, I'm all right with it. He's going to be fine. If he falls down, I'm here to catch him. I had no problem with what they were doing. I thought it was great for them to be out there. Mm -hmm. But apparently what I was doing as a parent was completely wrong by letting my boy be a boy. (laughs) Which is going to be an interesting kind of question for our podcast today. But let's just talk about clearly these are science-based differences amongst gender. Boys are more physical. They're rougher. And they play in a more physical way versus a relational way. They're like competitive. They're more competitive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boys and men tend to be more logical than emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, Females more relational. Um, Boys tend to um, skew towards like engineering and uh, figuring things out manually. So it's like almost brain differences where women are more inclined to notice patterns and uh, develop connections. Boys are more prone to risk-taking. And this is why, you know, historically, who's on the front lines in any conflict? You mm-hmm. know, it's usually young men, you know, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, for a specific reason. I think, um, one, their brains are not fully yet developed, but it's the role of testosterone and aggression and uh, the influence in trying to protect and take care of. So what is really interesting about the current status of my field as a, as a psychologist, and you're going to hear some reasons today why I am not a member of the American Psychological Association, why the American Psychological Association has become nothing more than an ideological organization void of clear science pushing agendas and leaves a lot of people behind in that agenda. Um, Specifically, you know, boys and men. Uh, Men do not seek out psychological services at the same rate as girls and women. And for good reason. When you hear how men are discussed today from a perspective of an organization that drives the academic teaching of how to help others, you'll understand why they're uncomfortable. Traditionally, men are uncomfortable going into a therapy situation. Now, some clear statistics, and Kelly, we're going to certainly rely on your experience in the classroom, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to tell some stories too of how the educational system treats boys versus girls. So you're making a connection between the school system and seeking out therapy. I think it's one of the discussion points okay. today. Like, uh, see, this is the, bo- this is the brain of a boy, you know, it, it just focuses on one thing right. kind of, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think it, it's, it's multidimensional and, and we have to look for connections. Yeah. Okay. So in 2018, the American Psychological Association developed APA guidelines for psychological practice with boys and men. And fellas, I'll tell you what, if you, if you want to ostracize boys and men from receiving care, you open it up with sentences that look like this. Let me get to the exact page. Although boys and men as a group tend to hold privilege and power based on their agenda. So it starts off in that way. So, so all boys, all men tend all to boys, have power. All boys, all men, regardless of circumstances, regardless of situation, just if you're born with a penis, well, then you have inherent power and you have inherent privilege. Now, why this is a 
ideological organization and not a scientific one is because you can't, in any logical way, discern how you can overgeneralize on an entire population of people based on gender, right? There's so many differences. So certainly, are, are there men in positions of power in politics and business and industry and who were born into certain families? Without a doubt. And at the same time, there's men born into poverty without fathers in, uh, in situations where they were subject to violence and uh, violence upon them. In fact, if we actually read the American Psychological Association's um, introduction paragraph, they state that boys demonstrate disproportionate rates of receiving harsh discipline, suspensions and expulsions in schools, academic challenges, dropping out of high school, in particular, African-American and Latino boys. We know statistically that around 20% of all boys will be diagnosed attention deficit hyperactivity disorder by the time they graduate high school and drugged. Mm-hmm. Um, boys are more likely to complete suicide four times that in comparison to females. They're more likely to have cardiovascular problems, physical health problems, public health concerns around substance abuse, incarceration, early mortality, and of course, violence. And there's a number of quality of life issues that, um, that men are more prone to. So tell me, does that sound like power and privilege in society? Like if we're going to speak generally, if, if all those statistics are accurate? Well, I guess it would be what's the origin of their statement. And from what I've experienced in this room, it's that over, over time, men have been the ones who have established industry and when it comes to like psychology, that whole DSM manual was written by men. So men have built a structure around them, therefore giving themselves more influence and power over those who had very little role in defining the structure of yeah. anything. Traditionally, families were um, evolved a certain way where, yeah. uh, where women stayed home and raised, you know, with the children day to day where men fought wars, they farmed, uh, they went out into the workforce. Okay. Um, obviously that has, that has changed in, in modern society. Well, there was val- there was an enormous amount of value behind all those roles in previous generations where you, you needed that, that masculine role to protect your family, to hunt and gather, to gather, to basically feed your family, give them shelter, give them clothing. You had to be somewhat aggressive and assertive in order to, to accomplish that. Yeah, and, and we'd say that we've probably evolved that way, right? Those clear differences are part of an evolutionary process. Like, in order to protect your, your family, you have to be able to, to be aggressive when attacked upon, yeah, right? Yep. Or your village or your community. Because only the strong survive. That's accurate, right? Yeah. Right. So these things um, that the American Psychological Association will talk about as risk factors for mental health problems from... I'm going to argue today they're just traditional masculine traits that are inherent to many or majority of men. And I, I told you guys I, that I, I felt like there is a war on traditional masculinity. Now, there are some statistics I think we have to be really concerned about, and we have to always ask the question, why? We know that um, sperm rates are decreasing significantly every decade since the since the 1970s testosterone um, a a critical hormone in health and well-being of men and women more specifically men because it's going to be associated with um, muscle strength and vitality among other things is on a um, a really steep decline in the 21st century now, there's lots of factors that contribute to it from our, our lifestyles to our food source and to environmental toxins, but there also seems to be uh, a number of other factors that influence this kind of response, which include social and uh, other environmental factors. I was going to say, I don't, maybe I brought it up in this room, um, my wife sent me an article after our son was born about how it affects males, that you're testosterone drops for a period of time and uh, it makes you more 
nurturing to, so I guess you don't kill your own child. I guess you more, your, your levels drop, your estrogen goes up and it makes you more nurturing to care for your family for a period of time. I'm going to find that article. Gonna I'm going to include it in the show summary because, because <laughs> I found it completely interesting and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Well, I mean, it's interesting because we don't know how accurate that stuff is. Maybe it, that is an evolutionary adaptation, mm-hmm. but one would also think in the way that we evolved that, um, you'd be more, you'd have to still protect your, your, your I would family. Think the opposite would happen yeah. actually. So, I would think that you would be much more prone to wanting to protect your child, which means an increase in testosterone. Well, I'll say this after he was born, we had, um, that sound, occupational that therapist. No, I'm going to, I'm going to find it because I, I remember being fascinated by it. Um, and it stuck with me, but there's also probably a component of, of protection. We had an occupational therapist come, uh, into uh, our apartment when we were in Los Angeles to help with something. Mm-hmm. And I stood in the back of the room and I was watching her with my son and she looked at me and she's like, you're like a lion right now. You're, you're back there and you're, you're watching and you're making sure that I don't do anything that would hurt your son. You're like a protective lion. Watching she was over staring me. at you telling you this. Yeah, she said that she made that connection and I didn't even realize I was, doing we are it. animals, but she yeah. said I was in the corner. I was taking like two or three steps in each direction. I never took my eyes off of her and him. And Good. I had no you were idea protecting your kid. Yeah. Maybe there's something there. I mean, come on. <laughs> Okay. So the American Psychological Association, we've already established they're going to come out and they're going to, they're going to talk about men in terms of power and privilege. So right away, you're going to turn off that kind of ideology is going to turn off most men, especially working class men who don't feel like they have great power in society. Okay. So if you want to know why men don't come to seek help, it's because this is how you're training. This is how you're training helpers, psychologists. They also identify masculinity as an ideology, as if it's taught, right? This is coming, this is kind of far left ideology that the things that we're going to talk about today, which are traditional uh, masculine traits, are somehow an ideology that is taught with negative health consequences um, and negative psychological consequences. But first, let's identify masculinity. I want to make the case today that traditional masculinity is different than antisocial behavior. And this is where we have to be really, really careful, fellas, because it's happening in society where they want to overgeneralize any antisocial behavior or criminal sociopathic behavior as if it's a behavior of men. Mm. Okay? It is a male behavior. And we did a podcast earlier the sociopath next door. And we know that about 4% are going to uh, demonstrate sociopathic tendencies. And yes, men are more likely to be aggressive or violent. So in terms of aggressiveness or violent, it's the sociopath. The sociopath rapes. The sociopath kills. The sociopath is narcissistic and hoards resources. But the politician, the ideologue, especially if they employ gender Um, or other identity markers as a way of trying to build their base are going to try to overgeneralize any negative um, or harmful behavior in society as if it fits men. Let me play a a little clip here that speaks to my point. And I hope our listeners can maybe understand. So, you know, there's of course a political issue that we have here, but then there's also a very deep cultural issue that we have. We have the radicalization of young men. This is an issue. Um, Young women are not doing this. Young non-binary people are not doing this. Trans people are not doing this. This is an issue that we have. Um, And young men are being radicalized right now in ways that we have not seen. And, um, and we need to talk about that. I mean, and who's managing, who's in charge of all of these platforms that are perpetuating this misinformation and violence? Men. She has a platform right there and who she's was, actually radicalizing everyone that? that's listening. That's uh, Ocasio-Cortez, oh, I really? believe is the correct Alexandria 
Ocasio Cortez, who yeah. is a uh, congresswoman from the great state of New York. Her her <laughs> using radicalization is the craziest thing I've heard. That's what she does. That's her platform. All right. I don't want to get too political on this. I just want to be able to highlight oh, certain points. Yeah, I want to break that down. I mean, hold on. A I, second. This is the first time I heard it. So right. that that clip is her response to uh, gun violence. The uh, what happened at the unfortunate mass shootings uh, at at schools. Right, she is blaming it on men. Now that's radicalized men, which I don't know what radicalized means. Well, it's anyone who who follows, you know, what's called traditional masculinity. Okay, that's what radicalized means. Radicalized is now traditional masculinity. I'm I'm happy with getting into the political implications on this because we can tie this all in to the um, the decreasing uh, role of good men in society, all right? So first of all, I just want to say, like, let's go back to uh, Germany, 1930s. Okay? It, it, it was the failure of good men, the loss of what we should consider traditional masculine traits to be able to defend those who were vulnerable. And who saved people's lives from that? Good men, right? right? So you need in society good men who adopt traditional masculine values. Let's describe them, okay? I'll tell you what I see traditional masculinity as. Courage. The willingness to be able to stand up for what you believe in and protect others. Strength. The ability to lead. Physical strength. The, need to, the ability to defend and protect those who need to be protected, especially uh, family, competitiveness, and desires for achievement are all under traditional masculinity. And they're highlighted in, the, in this article. Again, they're highlighted in this article as a risk factor. Right? What do you guys see as uh, what is traditional masculinity? I mean, I think problem solving and thinking for oneself and trying to figure things out to help your families and your friends. And independence. And independence. Yeah. And individualism. Absolutely. Yeah. Risk taking. Risk taking. That's another one. I mean, yeah. this country wouldn't exist if it were not for risk, tater, risk takers. Yeah. To get on a boat and travel across the country to get a better life for your family. I think, I think respect is, uh, you know, a, a, a trait that nobody wants to focus on anymore. But if you're a good, if, if you're a good man, you are respectful. Yeah. You know, you're honest, you have integrity. Honesty, integrity, right? Sure. Hard work. Absolutely. Right. These are all qualities of masculinity. Now they want to bastardize it. And don't, this is a political movement, right? Because in a society with weak men, then they are easily controlled. A society without strong men are easily controlled. Well, I won't even say like easily controlled. I would just say a society with weak men is vulnerable. Yeah, very mm -hmm. vulnerable. Vulnerable in many ways. Yeah, that, that's why I've concerned about a lot of things when I talk about the health and well-being of men. You know, you want to you talk about why they're, going, why they're dying younger of cardiovascular disease. It's, it's not because of traditional masculinity. It's because of how we're treating, you know, men in society. You want to isolate men and work in cubicles when you're designed to really be out in, in nature, moving your body, leading, problem solving, figuring things out, taking care of your family, and you're going to put them in front of television and eat crap food, your testosterone is going to decrease, your weight is going to, is going to um, increase. increase. The obesity you know, epidemic impacts men worse than women. You're not, you're not moving. You're going to be a shell of your former self. And the idea of competitiveness is, is such an absolute necessity for the evolution of society. That drive to want to be better, to get the best out of each other, can happen in competitive environments. Now, it's also an opportunity to shape what is natural. And that's what's important to me is I don't want to think about traditional masculinity as something that's taught and shaped. I want, to, I want people to think about it in terms of something that is innate, almost a human drive that is to explore, it's to build, it's to protect. And then we have shaped society around what is innate, the development of sports as a way 
to manage that innate aggressiveness and competitiveness, to learn values and skills to cooperate in society. Thoughts? I, I want to ask a question because I'm responding to that, that video of radicalized. So my question to you both is, can you be masculine and be a feminist at the same time? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. I would say that they, they go hand in hand. Because it's about respect for each other. I, I think I think it's also about looking at f- feminine strengths and just applauding them and embracing them. There are differences between the two. And you're sitting there as a, com- as a masculinity embraces that. They're complementary. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and so you want to look, this is... This is where the, the mental health system and psychology in general has failed as a science and development is that we want to, in my opinion, I want to look at the structures in society, the families and the systems that are, that are flourishing. And if you look into some of these structures and systems that, that flourish is that um, men and women um, are complementary in, in their needs, their, their, uh, their requirements in order to be able to, to flourish in a loving environment, whether that's raising a family or cooperation, you know, in society and community and work, there is a connection between both. So what might be innate or natural um, for one gender, it's complementary to the needs of the, of the other. Now that's that's just speaking about you know I mean we're overgeneralizing again because there are women who have traditional masculine traits and then there are vice versa too, and it's just it's just much more likely to be based on certain biological uh, kind of variables. Mm-hmm. I've got another question. We did a discussion on um, victim culture. Mm-hmm. So when we have a conversation about basically maybe an attack on masculinity are we in essence creating another victim culture of men who see themselves as held back by a society that is attacking masculine features or is this is this another victim culture? a masculine uh, some a masculine individual would never view it from that perspective. thank you that's the point i want to make it's the antithesis antithesis of masculinity is seeing yourself as a victim but yet there are men that feel like they're being held back by a culture that is viewing uh, certain masculine features as maybe um, problematic, and then they attack women in a way that they see them as the threat. Or they so see I want to. I want to put uh, those are sociopaths, and that, and that that's the thing is I want to distinguish that. Um, if someone physically harms a woman, mm-hmm. who might be your girlfriend or your partner or the mother of your own child, or you abuse children. That's not a masculine trait. No. And that's what I want to make sure that people... They want to make you believe that. I want people to understand what masculine means because I I feel like we have a tendency to throw words out and and, and think we know what they mean and assign some type of image in our head to that word and then think it's evil. So I think it comes down to one word and she actually mentioned this is power. And I think it's a flaw to just judge people based off of wanting power because I don't believe that that's just... That's a human trait. When you get power it's not necessarily a masculine trait people in power she has power she has power. she has power she has more power than absolutely we do. We, and there's she's three men here but she's and she has more power than us. she's pretending and she's trying to get everyone that's following her to believe that she does not they divide and they and they divide and they conquer so she is creating divisiveness in our culture politicians who do this are dangerous to our way of life they're dangerous to our psychological health Right? There needs to be a movement of community in which people come together, not on identity traits, but on core values. And so when my own profession puts out a hit piece like this in disguised as some guideline based on psychological science, well, you are, you are right away you are dividing people. This is why men can't go into, into therapy. First of all, it is the feminization of this field okay now there are maybe we have to conversely discuss what is uh, traditional femin- femininity mm-hmm. and the psychologists are about 75 percent female and i believe teachers are majority female and so are counselors and social workers so 
there are differences in coping, mm-hmm. right? We, we do something and we respond to what we're feeling. We're problem solvers. If we feel a certain way, we try to understand it and then figure something out to not experience it again. Inherently, going into a therapy where someone just nods your head and supports you is not going to be sufficient. Just validating that emotion for a man is not going to be sufficient. He's going to want to have practical uh, approaches to being able to deal with the situation in a productive and effective way. Now, that still means you, you identify and you're aware of your emotions, but you got to understand the person in front of you. And the desire to achieve is not a flaw. Feeling competitive, it's not a flaw, right? It's something that is constructive in how societies are built. Do you understand, folks, that if you demonize men in society, what you're doing is you're giving someone else power. The people you're providing the power are the politicians and the corporate leaders. They would rather demonize large groups of people, divide people, because the power stays within them. This is a political ideology. This isn't science. They don't care about us. They don't care about our, our, well, our health or our well-being or everything would look different. Don't you think that there's a lot of hypocrisy behind maybe the individual that you just played and others, for example, what's going on with Ukraine? Because she's attacking masculinity here, but yet praising the Ukrainian president for doing what? Traditional masculine behavior, right? Being a leader, Mm -hmm. trying to solve problems. Standing up to an aggressor. Yeah. And the only way that I think you're ever going to get, you know, our audience and people to do it is point out the hypocrisies of these individuals. Like that's a hypocrite. What she said was hypocritical. Evil, harmful people exist in this world. Yeah. That is a fact, right? We, we cannot live in a fantasy world. And the only way that society continues to grow is you protect yourself from those dangerous people. And you need good men to be able to do that. And then, so let's also go back. Uh, let's talk about raising sons. There are, some, there are some risk factors that exist for later aggressive behavior, substance use, and mental health problems. And that's the removal of the father from the home. And that is a, a, a real critical factor that the left doesn't want to talk about, right? Because anything that supports the traditional family is demonized on that side of the political discussion because the government is your daddy. or the school system is your daddy right men don't need to be in in a home but we know that you you remove a strong father to teach you how to deal with all the emotions and the experiences of a uh, of being a boy if you remove them uh, from the home where they can observe how a woman should be treated respectfully and with love right because modeling is really important right yeah you want to be able to observe parents who love each other. And then you are more likely to treat uh, females with respect. And this is critically important because what's thrown in their faces nowadays. Imagine being 13 years old and going through puberty. What happens when you're 13 years old and going through puberty? Oh, a lot of things happen. <laughs> you're talking physically or mentally. You, oh. you start getting, uh, you start raging. Your testosterone is increasing, so it's, it can be very difficult to control your emotions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, excitability about everything. Your eyes are starting to open up. You're starting to think a lot Especially of sexually. different things. Sexually, you're yeah. starting to think a lot of different yeah. things. Yeah. You are, your hormones feel out of control, and you can't stop looking at girls. Yeah, on like a, if on a windy day, you stay inside in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take much. Yeah. So I always... I always found it interesting about how, where government wants to intervene in your life and where they don't intervene in your life. Mm-hmm. You know how easy it is for a 13-year-old boy to um, look at pornography? Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Get out of that closet. Go out on the windy day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, you, if, you're real, if you're a feminine or if you're a feminist and you really care about women, how are women portrayed in, in pornography? Like, what messages are you sending to, to boys? Yeah. Um, because... Without the, uh, without the appropriate structure in place and the limits, 
and uh, you know, having a, a father in place that's going to be able to teach you on how to uh, manage your your emotions, your sexuality, your your uh, feeling prone to aggression. And unless you have a, a father, Mala, it's very difficult for a single mother to do. Mm-hmm. So fathers that abandon their families, that leave their family, that's not traditional masculinity to me. If I want to talk about other factors of traditional masculinity that are benefits to society, it is taking care of your of your children your loyalty and having having children with one mother mm-hmm. because um if you if you if you just if you abandon those children and they have to grow up in a single income home and the mother's now responsible for trying to uh you know manage children and you abandon the home and you're 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 fathering uh multiple children with multiple wo- women you're not going to be able to be present and there's financial and economic uh, problems, and obviously, you know, look at what you're modeling. Question for you guys. How much, we're using these descriptors of masculinity based on our experiences in living here in the United States. Do you believe that masculine roles are are culturally, or like um, your ethnicity may determine what those masculine I, I would, values are? I would say yes, because even at the school, when you meet different parents from different cultures, certainly you see a big difference in the way that fathers are. Um, I would argue that in, in many cases, in some, uh, some countries, the masculinity is like, that. that is the thing for the family. Like that is mm-hmm. the controlling, but we don't necessarily, I don't see that here as much. I see it elsewhere. Yeah. Well, um, I look at it dialectically. Um, yes, there's, there's cultural factors and there's biological factors and they integrate with each other. And so learning and environment matter. So um, if you're in a, maybe another culture, you know, depending on the environment in which you lived in, um, that could be based on religion. Yeah. That could be based on um, just the relative safety mm-hmm. of that particular region in which you, you grew up. So if, uh, if you grew up in a, in a region where there were, you were more at risk for physical or sexual violence upon on women. And again, goes back to a, a sound, strong society needs good men mm-hmm. to protect. Well, then a family might become structured in a particular way in order to you know protect their, their family members. And then you come into a, a society like the, the United States that, you know, over the past, you know, 80 years or so, it's a it's an economic power with a very high standard of living. And when there's such a high standard of living, living, you can look back that we become industrialized. And we are industrialized in a way that is uh, productive economically. And we produce goods and we produce services. And in doing that, there are winners and there are losers. Um, but even those who are of, of low uh, economic class or, or working class, the standard of living tends to be that of which, for the, for the most part, uh, food, clothing, and shelter are provided. Mm-hmm. Right? But as we've discussed in, uh, in other podcasts, is that um, there is higher rates of aggression and violence um, the lower the standard of, of living. So the lower and more you struggle economically, the higher rates of, of violence are. So in our inner cities, we see males... Um, acting out violently and aggressively, almost in a more primitive way, right? So there is a, there's, there's that fight for power and, and control. Could be through the drug trade, which in, in the United States is, uh, you know, a powerful influence on violence um, because men will look to try to support financially, you know, their, their lives and the, and the lives of, of, of their family or, or their children by any means necessary when society is broken down to that, to that extent. So I, I think when you look at how things are, are, I don't, we're going beyond traditional masculinity, but how men behave mm-hmm. and the social order of things are very much going to be determined upon relative safety. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. I would think those natural instincts show themselves more in, in situations where that fight or flight response might kick in. Yeah. Right. And, if you're in a, in, a, in a city environment where you're surrounded by a lot of activity and the, the chance for increased threat, you need to present yourself in a certain way to protect yourself. So you posit that in economic times where there is better, m- more wealth, 
you're going to see less violence amongst men. Well, one you are yeah. one of the things we're going to talk about right here is you know who's going to um, who's going to draft the APA guidelines for psychological practice with boys and men. Um, only the most privileged of white men. <laughs> You know, which well, is, isn't that kind of what they're talking about in that opening statement? That's exactly what they're talking about. Um, but it's also the APA is tying masculinity to every social issue that's out there right now. Well, like, the final draft was compiled by Frederick uh, Rabamowitz, Matt Angler Carlson, Ryan McDermott, Christopher Liang, and Matthew Cridle with assistance from Christopher Kilmartin, Ronald Levant, and Mark Kilsaka. Kilsaka, Nathan Booth, Nicholas Baragna, and April Barry. All right, so. Okay, we have a female there. Yep, she was added in. So <laughs> let me ask a question, though, because you, you early on, you said that um, women. Don't, don't ask me a question yet, because I, I have a point on, here. No, no, hold on. Don't let, let me finish my point. <laughs> my point are these guidelines are going to be developed by academics, okay? The most privileged of, of men, okay. right? Many of them have no other real world experience other than being in college, right? Maybe some of them were gender studies majors, you know, undergrad. I don't know if you can make that and then P though. and then philosophy well, hopefully and, then and then psychology and the way they, the, the way that they, um, the manner in, in which they um, support their families is through the academic writings and teachings of these ideas. You may want to be an academic one day. No, having, I won't. Having, <laughs> I think you've got some lessons that you can be teaching people, though. So why wouldn't you want to become? Because we can reach more people through through mediums such as this. Good point. In order for these men to to be able to survive in their institution, they need to adhere to this ideology. So they have to discuss men in terms of power. And privilege, because that's the ideology in which they, which is required for them to have success in their fields, right? You cannot be a part, you can't be an academic psychologist without using these words. Why? If, if men are in power, why wouldn't, why do they care? Why would they have to use certain words if, there are, if men are already in power? Like, you're for, who, for who are they pandering to? Your power, Sean, is dependent upon the environment in which you are in. So but haven't they created their own environment? Who's they? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking you're about. You're saying environment. So the academic environment. Yes. The academic environment is driven by an ideology. It's driven by a political ideology. In order for a male psychologist in the academic world to be able to obtain power, he has to be able to adhere to the ideology of that particular so you're environment. you're saying these particular universities, they're... Okay. All right. You have to, you have to cater and write what they want to hear in order to get publications yep. and things out. And, and language is so powerful when trying to communicate messages. That's why Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talked about men. They didn't talk about a person or a guy yeah. or an individual or any of the specifics about that individual, right? Like we want to know why someone would shoot up a school. Right. And we wouldn't say, well, it's because you have a penis. No, we would talk about, well, what kind of home environment did you come from? Socioeconomic factors. Mm -hmm. All the complex factors. What drugs were you on? Right? They want to ignore all that stuff for political power. That's where I was going to take it. What's the purpose of having a manual of how to treat men and boys? Shouldn't it just be an, an approach to therapy in terms of truly understanding who the individual is? Stop putting people into categories. It's the same thing as that DSM. You keep putting things into categories all the time. Yeah. I mean, there's truth to that, but we do have to recognize that there are biological differences between gender. Yeah, but that, of course. And so in today's conversation, who's being left behind being in, in society to be able to support? If, if, if we believe there's a war on traditional masculinity and masculine traits, we're talking about things in terms of those who are running into the fire, those who are in the ambulance going to the conflict, the police officer, the firemen, the military, uh, leaders, those who, if you were back in uh, 1930s Germany, could not stand to allow the, um, the mass killing of a group of people, right? Those, those who would stand up based on, on values of courage, right? Um, and then you raise your son in, in a certain way. 
that the world is dangerous and you are going to have to learn to be able to protect others, stand up for others. You may need to be aggressive at some point. Yeah. And there is inherent value to, to being competitive because it's a competitive world, right? You are going in order to be able to um, just be able to achieve positions in uh, education or in the workforce, you are going to be competing with others. And those who demonstrate um, the attributes that are going to lead that company or that organization or that, or that group towards success, you are going to have an advantage, right? So think about it. What political ideology wants to decrease competitiveness and believe that everyone is, uh, their success in life is de determined by a power group, not on innate individual characteristics? It's the, the pursuit for equality. Um, if everybody's equality of outcome. Equality of outcome. But I want to go back to, to the people that throw themselves out there in terms of, you know, firemen and running into a burning building. Mm -hmm. Like, clearly you're putting yourself at risk. Yes. You could die. But yes. you're you could die because you would be saving other people. That is your That's purpose. Our purpose. That is what you chose to do. Mm -hmm. So someone, if they were to enter into the, to seek mental health, and they express some of the things in their mind, their concerns, their feelings, um, maybe something else that's going on, like could a, a therapist could potentially say that, hmm, you're at risk of hurting yourself. Well, no, duh. You know, you, you in, a, in, a, in by being heroic, somebody could then put a label at you that maybe he did that intentionally to hurt himself. Is that what they're fearful of? I don't understand what the what the problem is. So with this. Are you suggesting that they like masculinity or men can't they they harbor certain emotions and then because they, they might get pulled out of the field that they're passionate about so, being in. Well, there there or are their job being taken away from them. Well, if if you talk to um, you know, people that you know in, in, in certain jobs, um, specifically those who are in um, uh, the military or are in um, law enforcement, yeah, right? They do have genuine concerns that if they present in a, in a certain way, they would lose their, their jobs. Um, but there, there are certain things like that um, that can be damaging to men that psychological science could um, better inform us on how to respond. And that's like thinking about emotions as, as weakness, right? Like experiencing a certain emotion or a certain response as, as if it's, as if it's being weak, mm -hmm. right? That there are certain ideas that, that are sound in science, but we can be able to apply that to the individual in a certain way that can support or help them. So let's like combat veterans for, for example. There are going to be, um, you know, men who who exhibit PTSD symptoms from being in combat, and they'll inherently judge that their response to that is a form of weakness, as if they are less than, right? And that can be taught, or that could be learned in in society. That if you, um, you know, if you feel scared, or you're struggling, you know, reacclimating back to society, well, then somehow that you are weak, or you're not, you're not a hero. And that's, you know, these are messages that I think good clinicians can, can communicate and support men that it's your actions and, and your behavior, not what you experience internally. So courage and bravery, for example, uh, are about actions and behaviors, not about what you feel. Most, most men will say, I was scared as hell running into that building. Mm -hmm. Or when I was on the streets of Fallujah in that combat, I was, I was scared. But they're trained to be able to respond to their emotions in a way to complete the mission. Mm -hmm. And, you know, same thing, I think, if you, if you talk to firemen or, or police officers, if they're in a dangerous situation, everything that happens internally is, is natural. But you have to be trained to respond in a specific way. To not freeze. And we, to not freeze. And we require men like that mm -hmm. in our society. Yep. So, Kelly, you're a school teacher. Roger started off this conversation by saying the school system plays a role in kind of tamping down some of these traditionally masculine features in, in which would be young men at that point. Well, let's take a look at how a classroom is set up. So who, who is going to have success in a traditional classroom? The one who could sit still and pay attention yeah. in a room without moving for a period of time. Well, we had a meeting this morning and we were talking about how people can get through the educational system without really learning oh, yeah. things, yeah, right? Parrot back what's been said to you. Yeah. yeah do you remember uh, why you got passed through with uh, statistics? What did you say to the group? Today? Oh yeah, I, I really struggle in statistics when I was in college. Like I, I had a hard time with it, but I went to class every day. 
sat in the front row and just would stare at the professor the entire time and just try and take it all in. And my grades were, were horrible in that class. But I went to him uh, later on in the semester, and he said, I see you here every day. I see you trying. I see you putting in the work. And clearly I wasn't alone. And he said, you'll be fine. You'll pass. And <laughs> that's, that's all. I mean, I don't really think I learned Right. Um, that stuff, and I haven't really applied it. Maybe I've, maybe I have applied. But you it. Were, I just kind of self-taught myself. But you were cooperative. I mean, that's what I'm going to get to. Like, if you, if yeah, you it can, was a big lecture hall. If you can come in there, sit down, be cooperative, follow the rules, right, mm -hmm. and uh, demonstrate to the teacher that you care what they say. You know, then there's going to be a path towards success. And so, in in a traditional classroom, you're in a fairly small room. You sit in rows. You're obedient. And you're going to take boys who, and we've talked about what it feels like to be a 13-year-old boy, for example. You need, you need to move your body. You have so much energy. You're designed to be physical. And that's why sports are so important in society. I'll get to that in a moment. But it is so, we're taking away recess. One of the things that is absolutely necessary, phys ed, recess, in order to be able to move around and be physical which are, are necessary just to get back into that environment where you have to sit and focus and be obedient. And that is, there's more traditional feminine qualities around cooperation, relationship, the ability to sit still and follow, follow rules that puts boys disproportionately are going to struggle in that type of environment. They're also more likely to be construction workers. They're more likely to be military. They're more likely to be law enforcement. They're more likely to hunt. They're more likely to fish be out in nature. And that is evolutionary, right? That is unique to that specific gender, right? So if you're, if you're going to try to shape those people into that factory mentality to be able to sit and follow rules, you're inevitably going to get what we call attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. That is a made up condition, a modern society when Almost anyone who wants that diagnosis, you can get it. You want to be called ADHD, you'll get it. Mm -hmm. And then what are the symptoms of such a disorder? Well, your inability to follow the rules in that particular environment. That's not a disorder. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, like we, we were watching a, um, a lecture uh, uh, from Matt Walsh, and he said something I thought was, was fascinating. He said, listen, you go in and you try to get diagnosed for juvenile diabetes. They don't ask you if you know they're able to to perform well in school no is it interfering with school yeah <laughs> you identify juvenile diabetes as the condition now you walk in there and you say oh my kid can't really stay focused he's struggling academically regardless of who that kid is naturally oh you have adhd now you, that's why there's something wrong with your brain and they'll give you a drug to be more docile and obedient and that's why we have to be concerned about what's happening to men from what you eat to how you live, to the way you think. The, the ideas you adopt have an influence on the emotions and your physical responses that you feel. So if you, if you adopt these ideas of, of being docile, obedient, dependent to authority, if you're, not, if you're not being physical with your own body, there's going to be such a decrease in really important um, hormones like testosterone that are meant to build and sustain muscle. And you're not going to feel well. You're not going to feel well physically if that's the lifestyle you don't, You need to be out in the sun. You have to be connected with, with nature. You have to be physical, especially as you begin to get older. And we cannot do this to young boys. We can't take them out of an environment that's natural, put them in an unnatural environment. And when they don't adapt to it, especially certain personalities, disorder them. But that exists in, in humans too. So anybody that would argue with um, a child being very active in school and being labeled disruptive. You look at any parent at the end of the day, especially with children probably under the age of 10, you know, what are they doing before bedtime? Sometimes they're taking their kids out for like a long walk or having them run around and all they want them to do is burn off steam before they go to bed so they can actually sleep. So why wouldn't that apply elsewhere? And he has a point too, if you remember back at the middle school days when I obviously do not hold a traditional classroom, I've never held a traditional classroom. And I told you guys that once I 
exited grad school, I realized that everything they taught me was completely incorrect and wrong. And if I would have listened to them, I wouldn't have been able to do what I've been able to do. But some of the kids that we're talking about that may have been diagnosed with ADHD and then did struggle in school when they get to a classroom like mine. And it's not just mine. There are plenty of teachers that do this where you're up and moving around or you're doing different things or you're, you know, those kids actually then thrived. Now, why couldn't they thrive, you know, in, in when they were just sitting still or in those those kind of like obedient classrooms. But then when they came to my class, they did extremely well, whereas the obedient kids struggled. They still did well because they were hard workers, but you got my point. It was a struggle for them. Um, I absolutely agree with what you said earlier about that. Now, there, there is a, there's a movement that is going on in, in our society about trying to move closer to what are more traditional values because our mental health and our physical health are declining Within the school system? No. Um, okay. It's more like a, a more of a, a cultural movement that, that exists in response to the deterioration of a lot of uh, factors in society. So, for example, um, in case people haven't noticed, it's much more difficult for men and women to conceive. There are, I think both of you experienced this. Sean, I know, I know have now there's later in life though. I mean, there's so many factors that were involved in, in our struggles, but, um, but, but, but those, but those variables and those factors do, do matter. So for example, um, uh, men and women are attempting to have children later in life. Yep. Right. So biologically that's very challenging to do. Uh, we talked about the fertility issues that exist in our society with some of the, the toxicity in our, in our food sources, in our water and amongst other things. And we also know that the that the less active and healthy both a male and a female are, the more less the less likely they are to be able to conceive. So when you think about some more traditional institutions that are kind of deteriorating in society, one of them we, we, we look at are the institution of, of marriage. Mm-hmm. So there are less people getting married. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they are, they're getting married later. And that is impacting the ability of the family. So there are some movements that are trying to abandon what is modern living. So what is modern living? It is going to college, accruing debt, meeting, uh, going on dating apps and having sexual hookups throughout your 20s with as many people as you can until you find the right partner, until you're you know, really facing that biological ticking clock, settle down with somebody, struggle and fight to be able to have a, a child. You're working 60-hour weeks, two incomes, just to have a certain standard of living. And then you need to go further in debt in order to go through procedures in order to be able to have a child. Now, home prices are... Jeez, are you reading my journal? <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, this, this way of modern living is causing physical and mental breakdowns in our in our culture. Yeah, it's an enormous amount of stress. If yeah. that's the path you end up taking, no doubt, yeah. you get stressed out. And it and almost never ends. Most people can never come out of that. Yeah. And most relationships struggle as a result of those things. And then by the time you succeed in having that family, you're broken. <laughs> and then you're you're looking for a way out. And what are what's the uh, antithesis to that movement? Um, you know, men and women who are who are kind of committing to not having sex until there's a, 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 a bond or formed commitment. So it's, a, it's against the, uh, the Tinder uh, sleeping around because we have some really negative health outcomes with that or mental health outcomes. So the, the more women that men sleep with or those, those casual hookups, it, definitely more for women than men is associated with negative mental health outcomes. Like it's kind of an emptiness around that, around sex that is more pervasive in this culture because it's so easy. You can just get on an app and do it. So they're kind of rebelling against what is that modern culture. They're changing the way that they eat, uh, you know, a, a lifestyle and, and food. This is another factor in, the, in, I think, what is the war on masculinity. What type of foods do you have to eat in order to have high testosterone? Wait, what is... Oh, so they want to increase their testosterone. Yes. Okay, so... By eating certain things, it's not a, a war on masculinity, but it's 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 to combat this anti-masculine. Well, this is push. this is where I'm, this I'm is lo- the, you lost me there. Though. Yeah, because because these are the things that we don't. Why is a Bill Gates buying up farmland? You know, in the United States, for example, because he wants why, to own more land. Wh- <laughs> <laughs> why why are they pushing out um, pseudoscience about the dangers of red meat? 
why are they trying to create what amounts to be chemical or toxic plant-based meat? Because, why are they pu- the why are they pushing entire movements that are going to destroy the health and well-being of the populace? They're heavily invested in those meat substitutes, so that's why they push out papers like that because they want the stock price to go up. It's I, everything's tied into business. Dangerously naive. <laughs> you look at all the chemi- not only chemicals but soybeans and everything. It's in everything. Like yeah, why? It, is, it doesn't it need to be. It yeah, do- don't eat that crap. Doesn't need to be, but yeah. it's there. But the, I mean, eating whole foods. Why is that? You don't. You don't it's, see is the, that in response to masculinity. I don't. It's not a whole food. Eat a whole food. Eat, eat real things is what I'm saying. What's the problem? You talking about whole foods, the grocery store? No, like like real food, whole oh. foods, like one ingredient type things. Just you're cooking a vegetable, you're cooking some chicken, and you're you're eating. Like, what's the problem? How is that a anti-masculine? Well, because if you eat certain foods at the absence of others, it's going to contribute to that decrease in testosterone. And they make the link between testosterone and masculinity. In fact, they'll use the word toxic masculinity, violence, rape, rape culture, um, specifically against violence against women, mass shootings. When we talk about an ideology versus science, we're talking about the associations and the words that are used in order to convince people that certain people are dangerous and others are safe. And so if traditional masculinity, testosterone, muscle size, strength, uh, protection, adopting a certain attitude, quote unquote, an alpha male, they are dangerous. They harm society. They are their risk factors for the safety of others and themselves. It's an ideology. And so the antithesis to this, and there's a lot of influencers that are out there. Isn't this then a new ideology? It's the same ideology. You can't put the links together. No, I'm talking about, you said this culture out there of people wanting to increase their testosterone. Right. I said it's the antithesis to what is being pushed on greater society. So it's it's another ideology. It's another people that are, are pushing back, but forming their own. Culture. It's pushing back against. I think people are starting to wake up a little bit more. Well, than yeah, they, they should. I it, mean, that's the pendulum swinging. It's it, it, it's an awakening. Yeah, it's awakening. So, you, so hey, I so, followed these rules. I do these listen, things. I adopt what's on in the media, and I feel sick. There yeah. was an entire do- an entire generation of men felt shame for being masculine. I think it's because the way you we want the world to to work with a certain order and predictability. And whenever something is outside of the order or predictability in which the way that we want to see it becomes very, very uncomfortable. So, and this is where, Sean, you have resisted against these ideas that there are powerful people and ideology. I listen to some of the things you say, and I'm always um, concerned that people would hear it differently than how you, um, how you mean to say it. So that's when I'm, that's what throughout this entire podcast, that's why I've been following up with more questions because I think people hear something and their, their mind immediately goes towards what they believe you are talking about. And that's why I ask clarifying statements because I want to truly understand what you're connecting it to mostly for me also because it helps with the conversation. So, um, and and there's going to people that are going to completely misunderstand or, um, what we're trying to trying to communicate because people are going to hear what they want to hear yeah. but and that's why i wanted to, to ask that question early on you know can you be a feminist and be masculine at the go same go back time? to our our podcast on what the hell society what the hell is society doing to teenage girls right where yeah. we absolutely discuss the protection of of women against dangerous men right and those dangerous men don't have to be ones that are violent or aggressive it could be that of ideas yeah Right. And it's the drugging of the female. And I see this conversation no different from uh, that one where you, at the front, you're like, hey, listen, we, we got three men in a room. Duh, obviously, like you would want to have a balanced conversation, but we're talking about masculinity and there's three guys here with no female perspective. So how do you balance it out? That's me. I roll. But it's not, <laughs> a, it's, it's not male against female. See, that's another but, example of the div- div- divisiveness that exists in our society. I completely that, agree. That just tells us that you are a victim to that. I completely agree. But that's why you have to ask clarifying statements and dig a little bit further to truly understand the message. Sure, I, 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 I understand. Okay. Like, I, I agree with that. But when we talk about... Um, if you needed to develop a playbook on how to create a populace or society that, that would be more docile, sick, and dependent, mm-hmm. you would be able to talk a lot about, about what is happening right now. Let's, let's do cer- certain things with the food source, right? 
that would decrease sperm counts, testosterone, that would increase body fat, would make men more docile, dependent, will divide people, will, um, will praise um, those who have more feminine characteristics, and will demonize those who have traditional masculinity as if they are dangerous to your well-being or you're dangerous to the democracy or the safety of your communities. And that's exactly what, what's happening. And so from a psychologist standpoint, it's very clear that we're not able to support men uh, in the greater mental health field. It's become a field that's predominantly for, for women and those who aren't uh, traditional, who are, aren't traditional cisgender individuals, right? So it's become an entire uh, mental health treatment for those who don't adopt these values. At its worst, at its worst, they talk about it in terms of white nationalism. But we're talking about African-American men, Hispanic men, white men, anyone who has uh, uh, Arabic men who, who adopt some of these uh, traditional masculinity and believe in it. And it's part of inherently who they are. They are the ones that are being left out of the conversation and they are being demonized. Yeah, I agree with that. And I do think that it's okay to believe in those ideas, especially since, you know, masculinity in general can be a very, very positive trait for our society and can lead us into a very positive direction. Yeah, I think the, we walk away from this conversation today is that um, if we're going to solve the problems that exist in our culture, then they are going to include both men and women, cooperative, complementary not demonizing large groups and always dealing with people on the individual level, right? Like be very, very um, skeptical when someone wants to take a trait or an identity marker and then use that identity marker in a way to associate something dangerous with them. Or conversely, they become your savior, right? I am the savior to you if you have this identity marker, if you're transgender or you are a minority or you are an immigrant, that's, that's a power play. They're, they're, pow they're playing for your, for your votes. It's, it's not about um, what is in the best interest of you as the individual because it doesn't matter about our identity markers, right? Everyone is unique and individual within their own way. And so if we're going to talk about anything that is related to society and culture on this podcast. We cannot overgeneralize. Listening to a podcast may be therapeutic, but it is not therapy. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional. If you are in a crisis or you think you have an emergency, call your doctor or 911. If you're considering suicide, Call 1-800-273-TALK to speak with a skilled, trained counselor. If you found this podcast interesting, please share it with a friend, subscribe through your podcast app, and engage with us through our social channels. And if you are concerned about a friend or family member, reach out. The six magic words, I was just thinking about you, may make their day. Thank you for listening.